Good morning. I guess this is Come Back to Church Sunday. We have most of our folks back, either from COVID or um, some of us. Poor Dale um, really went through it, which means Carolyn went through it with him. So it's so good to have, have you with us, Dale. Be back. And then we get to see Mike Glaze and Misty and her family. So we got a, and then Jody's here. I, I reached out to you yesterday and said, man, we miss you. She goes, miss you too. I'll be there tomorrow. So woohoo. Good to see everybody. Hopefully you've got a listening sheet. I didn't even see Key back there. Dale just bent over. Now I can see Key. <laughs> Good to see Key, too, with us. All right. So, Mike, you'll remember this. Um, we actually marked um, my 21st anniversary as a pastor of this church, and I was in Kansas for that this year at Liberty Baptist Church preaching for my father-in-law. Uh, which was kind of weird to be away. Uh, so October is a month that's not only, uh, I, I think it worked out good for you. It, it's like having your anniversary on Christmas because October is Pastor Appreciation Month, but it's also my anniversary here, so you get a two-for-one deal <laughs> is how that works out. But 21 years ago, on the 1st of October, we pulled into uh, the house that the church owned up here on Lake Wildwood Drive, pulled in with a U-Haul truck, and uh, there was a group there ready to unload us. Now, I was moving from the state of Florida to right here to Georgia, and I did not do my homework. Normally, when you're going to move somewhere or go somewhere that you haven't been before, you do a little research, right, about where you're going and what it's like. I, did, I neglected to do my job. And as a result, my secretary at my work in Florida happened to be at the time a really big Georgia Tech fan. Yeah, I didn't get much response from that, did I? And, uh, so, and when she heard we were moving to Georgia, she went out of the kindness of her heart and bought for myself and my two, I only had two sons at the time, uh, which was Paul and Zach, bought us each Georgia Tech yellow jacket hats. And I just figured, not doing my research, I'm moving to Georgia? Surely everybody's a Georgia Tech fan in Georgia. And y'all are laughing because you know the truth. So I pulled in and we piled out of that truck with our Georgia Tech hats. And I, I must tell you, it was a very cool reception. <laughs> I almost got fired on my first day. Um, and then I realized that there were like three people in Georgia that were Georgia Tech fans. Thankfully, one of them at the time was a member of the church. So I retained my position. So what's that got to do with anything? Well, you should research the place that you're moving to. And we should know as much about our future home, heaven, as we can. And I would submit to you, uh, most people in church today have no idea. Or they're very, very fuzzy about the eternal place in which we live. So let me ask you a question. Those who have repented of their sin, put their faith in Jesus, and are following him... Those are the three elements of the gospel, by the way. Faith, repentance, and following Christ. When they die, where do they go? Heaven. Question number two. Will we live there where we go when we die forever? Right? So most people would say yes, but the actual answer is no. I thought, no, we're not going to live in heaven forever? Depends on how you define heaven. Yeah, and I see some head shaking, because some of you are good Bible students, and I'm thankful for that. 
Um, I've entitled this message Now and Then. Um, and it's not like some of you come to church now and then. That's not the way I'm using that statement. I'm, I'm talking about now. What is heaven like now? And what is it going to be like then? And there's a big difference between now and then. So I'm going to deal with that. And I'm going to be honest with you, because I know myself. We're really going to just mostly hit now. Um, because next week, when I deal with the resurrection uh, of our bodies, and, and, and which is going to coincide with the resurrection of the globe of planet Earth, um, I'm going to show you that connection, and I'll deal more with the new Earth then. You see, I don't understand any of that. Hang in there. Follow the listening sheet, and by God's grace, we'll get there. So let me see if, if we can clear up some of the confusion that we have this morning about heaven, what is it, and you have to define it. Um, John, uh, a guy wrote a book, his last, I'm trying to think of his first name, his last name is Vance. Um, and he writes in, in, in a book, I completely disagree with him on every single page. Uh, but he made this, except for this opening line, he said, he who defines the terms wins the argument. And he was right, and he defined the terms, I felt, anti-biblically in his entire book. But when you define the terms, you win the argument. We need to define what is heaven. So I want to do that today. And in your outline, number one, as I want to, I want to talk to you, mostly what we're going to do this morning, is I want to present to you intermediate or what I call present heaven. And why is it intermediate? We're going to get into that. So um, when we die right now, as, as people who have, I want to make sure we understand this, repented of your sin, put your faith in Christ, and are following Him. Did you get those three? Nod your head. Repentance, faith, and follow. So those who have died and have repented of their sin, put their faith in Jesus, and are following Him, and have followed Him since that time, those people go to somewhere that we call, and you all are right, we call it what? Heaven. So um, 2 Corinthians 5.8, I told you to put your finger in there. It'll come up here on the screen. Here's what it says. Paul says this, we are confident, well pleased rather, look at this, to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. So when that spirit and soul leave the body at death, um, we are immediately present with the Lord. And that place is called what? heaven and it's interesting to me how this works and I think there's some hints at it in scripture we have to do a little bit of what the Puritans called good and necessary inference what's that mean it means you got to connect the dots right to understand this fully but I remember watching my dad take his last shallow breath on this earth this, and, and, and my dad died hard. Uh, and the reason he did is because he was too strong for his own good. He really, he was, he was the strongest man I ever knew. And he just, he just wasn't going to let go. Uh, but boy, whenever he finally did it, that, that strong man was weak. It was his weakest moment on earth when he let out that last and final breath. But oh, it was also his best moment. Because he woke up, and I believe, to the face of Jesus. To finally behold God. 
I love the hymn. We just talked about Fanny Crosby in my class that I teach on Mondays, my classical um, school class of eighth graders. Talked about Fanny Crosby. My favorite hymn that she ever wrote was called My Savior, First of All, because she was blind. And, and she said, I am, I am of all people most blessed because the first person, the first thing I will ever see is the face of my Redeemer. And that whole song, beautiful song, is about that. And it's true, isn't it? And I know my dad, his, his weakest moment on earth was his best moment when he opened his eyes and saw Jesus. So I call that the intermediate or the present heaven. That's heaven now. But there's also another heaven that is future. And I call that, and we're, put this in your outline, the eternal heaven. The eternal heaven, also known as the new earth. Anybody here ever heard of something called the new earth? All right, we're living in what's going to be the old earth, but we're getting a new one. Yes, and it's going to be wonderful. You say, where do you get that? I get that from Revelation 21, if you got your finger there. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. And, and again, I'm, I'm going to readily admit that I'm not going to deal with, the, with eternal heaven, the new earth, much today. Uh, but we are going to get there next week. So let's look at it. Here it is. This is John talking. He's talking about what he's seeing um, in, in Revelation 21. He says, now I saw a what, church? What's those two words? New a new heaven and a what? New earth. So the heaven, now don't get, don't get this mistaken. There are three heavens in, Bible, in the Bible or, 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 or in the first century. They, they thought of heaven in three levels. The first heaven was the atmosphere. It's the air that you breathe, right? It, it's, you can't see it, but we'd all be in trouble without it, amen? The second heaven was what you and I would refer to as outer space, where the planets, stars, and other galaxies are. And then the third heaven, which Paul talks about in his writing, saying, I knew a man, and he, wasn't, he didn't want to brag, so he's talking about himself, who was taken up to the third heaven. The third heaven is literally the presence of God, what we would call the current heaven or the intermediate or present heaven. And so Paul was actually taken up, like John, um, to, the act, to actually where the presence of God is and what we call the current heaven. So three heavens. What heavens are, are going to be new here? It's not going to be where God is. And, and in a sense, I guess it will be the atmosphere. But specifically, it's talking about outer space, universe. That, that, that God is apparently going to remake not just this planet, but everything that's around it is going to be totally redone to last for eternity. So keep that in mind, that the, the new heaven, we're talking about the, a, a new universe and a new planet, new heaven, new earth. Now notice this, why are we doing that? Because the first heaven and the earth, first earth did what? It passed away. It, it finished its course, and there was also no more sea. I don't know what that's about. Um, there's some conjecture. I know I personally despise sand, so that works fine for me. I said, I would love the ocean if there was grass right into the water. <laughs> but because there's sand, I hate it. <laughs> All right, here's the next one. Then, then I, John, look at this, saw the holy city. And this city has a name. And what's the name, church? Next two words. New Jerusalem. Not the old Jerusalem, because the old Jerusalem was on the old what? Earth that just did what? Passed away. Uh, so it's a new Jerusalem. What was it doing? Coming down out of heaven from who? God. Now this is, 
This is, I think this literally means all three heavens. Um, heaven where God is, outer space, and the atmosphere. This thing is coming down. And notice what it says. It's just like a bride, uh, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. In other words, this thing is knockout beautiful. Right? I mean, more than we can even understand. How amazing it is. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, Sam. And I heard, same guy, John, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold. What's behold mean? Look. Look. Pay attention. Yeah, pay attention. Y'all seeing this? If, it was, if, 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 this, if John was a, from Georgia, he'd say, Y'all seeing this? <laughs> behold. What? The tabernacle, the house, the dwelling place of God. What does this next thing say? Is with who? Men. And he will dwell. In other words, he's going to live with them. And they shall be his people. Isn't that something? Now, I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to discipline myself to not go any further. It's going to be hard. I was taught, and some of you might have been too, taught that this, whatever this new Jerusalem is, it's, gonna, it's, a, it's literally a city. It's going to come down out of heaven. Um, and, it's, and, it's, and, and on this new earth that God makes, which we're going to talk a ton about next week, um, it's going to kind of hover above the earth, and we'll be able to go back and forth. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. You know, what, you know why we say that? Because we can't get over the separation between God and us. And it's because of sin. Guess what's not going to be here? No sin. No sin, no separation. The, it says right there, the tabernacle of God is what, church? With men. And he will what? He's going to live with that. Well, I think this new Jerusalem plops right in the middle of the new earth. Right? I mean, it, 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 it said nothing about hovering nowhere. It says it's going to be with us. He's going to actually lit, dwell tabernacle to dwell in other words god's gonna have a physical address on a physical earth amen and we're going to get to go visit him all the time and that going to be awesome so let me back up a little bit let's deal with the present heaven in other words currently that's not here yet but it's being it's being prepared right now notice john said that being prepared as a bride adorned for her husband right so I'm going to get into that here in just a second. Sam, if you go to that next screen. So there's really just, when we think about present heaven in your outline, um, oh, let me read that last verse. God himself will be with them and be their God. You can't get this, this inclusive nature is so pregnant in these verses. John could not be any clearer that, that God and resurrected, redeemed mankind are going to live together. They're going to dwell together on a new planet. Isn't that going to be great? So, present heaven, two questions. And this is all I want to try to accomplish this morning, uh, is to try to answer these two questions. Some of this might be controversial. And you don't have to agree with me. I fully give you the right to be wrong. Um, but, and we could talk about this later. <laughs> no, truly, some of this stuff is unanswerable. And by the way, this comes from some of your questions. One of you sent this in. Uh, where, is, where is heaven? And by heaven, I'm going to infer that you met currently. When we die, we go to heaven, the presence of God. Where is this place? I'm going to try to deal with that. And I think I got some scripture that might help us a little bit, but it's a little bit of a, of a mind-blowing thing. 
Um, so with that in mind, two questions I'm going to try to answer. What is current or present heaven, intermediate heaven? And where is it? So um, let me do that by giving you three statements. And the first two will deal with what it is. And then the last one will deal with where it is. Are you with me? I'm trying to keep this simple and kind of structured as we look at some scriptures together this morning. First of all, I want you to notice this as to what it is. What is it? It is a prepared place. It's a prepared place. What's that mean? It's being, worked, it's being prepared right now. Now look at this, and it's in John 14, verses 1 through 3. And, and, and I'm just going to let you in a little window. The, the, the hard part for me this week and, and looking at this and delving into this is there's, it's not that there's not enough scripture on this. There's so much scripture on this. So I, I, uh, understanding the time limitations, I said, what can I, how can I present this and get the point across? Here's, here's my message to you. T take what I'm telling you and then go home and be a good Berean and dive into the scriptures and go to all the other references and see if, any, if this stuff lines up. And if it doesn't, tell me, because I'm, I'm fallible. I'm, I, I need to learn too. Um, but here's what Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, um, beginning in verse 1. He, he, he is telling them, let not your heart be troubled. Um, you believe in God. Believe also in me. And he says this, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, now check this out. And what is Jesus saying? Why is he leaving? I go to what? Prepare a place for you. Next verse. And if I go and prepare, because I'm doing that, I'm doing that for a reason. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. To what end? That where what? I am there you may be also. Right? So one of the reasons Jesus has left and resurrected is because he's, he's, there, there's, there's something that he is doing. He said, I'm going away from you. Don't, and don't worry about it. Don't get upset about it. It's good news. I'm going away from you for what reason? To prepare a place for you. And, and, I'm, and I'm not going to forget about you. you, you know, I'm, I'm coming back to get you when everything's ready. Now, you can read too much into this, or you can read not enough into this. But here's the thing. I think the second person of the Trinity was very active. We know this in a fact in John chapter 1, where it says that all things were created by him, the Word. And without him was not anything made that was made. So who was act, the active agent in creation? Christ the Son. With me? God the Son. How long did it take God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the Trinity is completely, all of them involved, spirits hovering over the face of the deep, and God's, God's the one that's speaking, the Father is speaking. So Trinity's involved. How long did it take the, the Godhead to create everything that we see? Six days. Because the seventh day, they didn't do any work. They just enjoyed what they made. Amen? Six days. Six days. 
And even though this world's been wrecked by a global flood and sin, it's pretty beautiful, isn't it? Um, I had the privilege of, of doing a little bit of hunting on Friday, and I, I got a quota hunt up in, in um, Rum Creek WMA. So there's a one spot I love to hunt, and it's because I'm getting old, and it's not that far from the road. <laughs> and I don't have to get in a tree stand because it's a big hill overlooking a field on one side and a power line on the other, and, it, and the deer like to go back and forth. And I actually got a nice uh, deer that morning, buck that morning. But watching the sun come up with a fog, and the sun breaks over the horizon and the colors just shoot out. I, I got a picture of it on my phone and I was so disappointed because the picture isn't anything like what I was viewing. It's kind of like going to see a movie after you read the book. I've never had it work where I thought the movie was better. It's the same thing. Well, even in this fallen world, that sunrise was stunning, right? And it only took him six days to make that and he's been gone over 2,000 years now, right? Doing what? Preparing a place. Wow, that is gonna be amazing. And that place has a name, and I'm gonna get into that here in just a minute. And we'll talk about what that place is like, what it's for. Um, so it is a prepared place. God is getting this place ready. And we know that right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, right? Making intercession. He's going he, on our behalf. It's a beautiful truth. And when the accuser comes and said, boy, have you seen what Mike's doing? You know, Jesus says, yep, and I paid for that. Not guilty. Right? Praise the Lord for that. Holy Spirit's reinterpreting our prayers. Jesus is hearing them, bringing them to the... It's a beautiful thing that Jesus is doing right now. He's preparing that place for us. But hear me, beloved, that is not your permanent home. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Now, here's the second thing. Now, this is going to, this is going to mess with some people, um, but it really shouldn't. This current heaven is a physical place. It's a physical place. Randy Alcorn, which I, I meant to bring the book up here. It's in my office, and, and it's, it's been an immeasurable help to me. And it's really challenged me. He wrote a book simply called Heaven. So it's easy to remember the title, right? It's a pretty thick book. And uh, it will really challenge your, what you think you know about heaven. But he says this in there, and I quote him, The real question is whether people, being by nature both spiritual and physical, can dwell in a realm without any physical properties. That's a good thought, isn't it? Um, it's heaven is the, even present current heaven is a physical place and uh, we, we see this in Hebrews 12 verses uh, 22 to 23 this is the writer of Hebrews and he says this but you have come to what church Mount Zion okay so that's a physical place and then these are all synonyms of each other. And to the city of the living God. So Mount Zion, and apparently this thing called the city of the living God, and now he's going to call it something else, the heavenly what? Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels. So let's stop right there. So the writer of Hebrews says that 
that we are going to be, we're going to end up in this place called three names. Mount Zion, the city of the living God, and the heavenly Jerusalem. I believe these are three synonyms explaining or describing the same place. And they're all, they're all describing something physical. Now look at this. An innumerable to an innumerable company of angels. So who is there? Who is there in this place? Bunch of angels, right? In this realm, whatever it is. Look at the next verse. To the, this is neat. Who else is there? To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Check this out. Who are, what's that word? Isn't that something? Are you registered in heaven? Say, so what, what, what's that mean? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? I think that's what the registration is being talking about here. Is your name registered in the Lamb's book of life? To God, the judge of all, so we know he's there, and the spirits of just men, justified men, made perfect. And that word there means complete. Complete. Here's a connection for you. Heaven, current heaven, is literally called here what we come to understand as the new Jerusalem. Back that up to that, next, that first verse 22, Sam, if you would. Look, look what it says there. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, city, the heavenly what? Jerusalem. Heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, is equated to present or current heaven. And it's being what? Prepared. It's a physical place. There are so many physical descriptions of this place called, this city called the New Jerusalem. I, I, heaven is not, here, here's, where, here's where I'm getting to. Heaven is not some, and this is how I, I'm afraid we think of it, as, as some ghostly place where we're all a bunch of ghosts existing in this, that's why we say up in the cloud somewhere in the air where we can't see it, right? That's not heaven. Heaven is a physical place. So much of what everything that's described going on in current heaven, which is apparently the New Jerusalem in, in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, everything that's happening there by human beings is described in physical terms. They're wearing robes. How does a ghost wear a robe? How does a spirit wear a robe? I don't know. Maybe we're not in a, in purely in a spiritual form. Heaven is definitely not a, just a, a spiritual made-up place. It is a physical location that is being prepared. And I'm, it's an amazing thought when you think about it. Think about Jesus. Do you remember when he was on the cross and that, and that thief who started off reviling him all of a sudden has a change of mind? And by the way, that change of mind is called repentance, folks. <laughs> That's what, and by the way, if you haven't had that happen to you yet, Keep seeking God because you need it and I need it. Amen. We need to repent. He has a change of mind and heart. And all of a sudden he starts sticking up for Jesus and telling the other, other thief, pipe down. Don't you know? We're, we're, we're on this cross because we deserve it. This man has done nothing. Right? I, I think God revealed that to him. And then he turns to Jesus. And you remember what he said? He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus tell him? Yeah, Luke, Luke 23, 43 says, Today you will be with me where? Paradise. 
and paradise right that specific day. And that was obviously going to be a reality. The thief knew it. The thief knew he was going to die that day because the next day was Passover. And no Jew is going to have any other Jew hanging on a cross on the day of Passover. And that's why the thief's legs get broken and they suffocate and die quickly. Jesus had already died. Do you know what the word paradise means there? When you, think, when you hear that word paradise, what, what comes to your mind? Give me some descriptions. Huh? The Garden of Eden. That's actually a really good description because the word paradise there literally means a walled, gated garden. It's a physical place. Um, and it has this idea. And I like, what, I like what you said. It is possibly even the Garden of Eden in this place called the New Jerusalem. Because we do know that in this place, Revelation, just jot this down, Revelation 2, 7. Guess what's there? The Tree of Life. Right? The Tree of Life is in heaven. There's a river. There's some rivers in heaven. And there is, by the way, don't get the, there are streets of gold, street of gold, not streets of gold. It only says one street. It's made of pure gold and it's see-through. The gold is so pure, it's like glass. And it's physical. It's not some spiritual thing. It's a real physical city right now. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a second. Have you ever wondered, and, and I really believe this, especially as I read descriptions of what's going on in heaven. You see a lot of that in the book of the Revelation of Christ. Uh, everything that human beings are doing requires some type of physical presence. Um, it's, it's just there. You, you, you can't deny it. Um, um, robes are not worn by spirits or ghosts. You know, you've got to have some type of physical and I believe that we have some type of intermediate physical bodies in heaven as we await uh, our glorified bodies because God made us body, soul, and spirit. And, 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 and even though we are separated, waiting for this glorified eternal body, I believe there's some type of physical um, intermediate body, that we, heavenly body that we have. Now, why do we get away from that? Where do we get this idea that heaven is some see-through place, some, some place that's not real. By the way, when we say heaven, where do we think of? We think way up there somewhere, right? Way far away. I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm going to debunk that. Um, but this idea, and the reason that we're resistant to the idea of present heaven as a physical place is due to something that has been coined, the term has been coined, Christoplatonism. Uh, and it comes from a guy named Plato. Anyone ever heard of Plato? Not Plato like the clay that you play with as a kid. Plato. Plato was an was a early Greek philosopher. And here's what Plato believed. And it crept its way into the church. We talked about it in our D group this morning. Plato believed that everything physical was evil. Right? So if it, anything that had to do with the body was evil and, it, and, and is no good, the only thing that was good were, were things that were spiritual, the soul and the spirit that was eternal. That's good, but the body is evil. And the whole goal is to get the body separated from the spirit because then the spirit's totally good, doesn't have to deal with that nasty old bad body anymore. So Plato believed that all things physical are evil, including the earth. Anything physical is bad. Anything not physical, spiritual, is good. And unfortunately, in the early church, there was... Uh, it was influenced 
by Platonism. And that's why we call it Christoplatonism. It was brought into the church. There was a guy named Philo, and he lived from 20 years before Christ to 50 years A.D. And he, he was responsible. He brought in a lot of this idea that all the physical is bad and only the spiritual is good. Then there was another guy named Origen, A.D. 185 to 254. And he also espoused this Christoplatonism that our problem is, is the flesh, the physical, and the earth, and everything here is bad. That's why God's going to just destroy the whole thing. Yeah, but they never say he's going to remake it. Isn't that interesting? He is good. The problem is not the physical, but this idea has been foisted upon the church from its early inception, and, and the church has bought into this idea. Let me tell you, the pro your problem is not your physical flesh. It's the sin that is, Ill, that is erroneously and illegally taking up residence in your flesh, and God's going to deal with that one day. That's why you're getting a new glorified body. You know what's going to make it glorified? No more sin. No more indwelling sin. You're going to be what God intended you to be from the beginning. 2 Corinthians 5, 2 through 4 says this. There we go. For, for in this we groan, Paul's talking about, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, in other words, our new, our, our, our new place to live, which is from where? So we, we're desiring this new body. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. So we're not, what he's saying is, we're not up there in the present heaven in this new Jerusalem that's being prepared, walk, uh, floating around as naked ghosts. And I'm telling you, a lot of people have that idea. That's what this place is. Look, look at verse 4. For we who are in this tent groan. In other words, the one we're in, this body that we're in right now, we're, we're groaning. Being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. So, man, it's not that we want... What, he's really pushing against Platonism here. He says, not that we want to be get out of this body, but we want to be clothed fully without the sin. That's what we were made to be. That mortality might be swallowed up by what, church? What's it say? By life. So we desire this new body, even though without... And I'll tell you what. Some of you, you teenagers and young people are looking at me and saying, I don't know what he's talking about because you know, my body's pretty good. Hang in there. Live as long as I have. Right? I shot that deer Friday morning. Even though I had a cart, thank God, whoever came up with deer cart, bless you, bless you, bless you. But I was about a mile back in the woods, and I rolled this deer out of that cart. I told my wife, it took me two hours to get out of the woods because I'd go about 50 yards, had to stop, drink some water, sit down, catch my breath. And, and just a few years ago, in my 40s, I could, I could have got that thing out, no problem. And boy, what does it do? It makes us long for a body that works great all the time and is absent of sin. Amen. How many of you are looking forward to a body that doesn't have indwelling illegal sin in you anymore? Amen. Boy, if you're a believer in Christ, that should be your testimony. So we're clothed in this heavenly body. And as I said before, I believe uh, that this... That, that present heaven is a physical place, and I think we have some type of physical existence there right now. Um, and then one day, <clears throat> we talked about it this morning in D groups, our bodies are going to be resurrected, sin is going to be removed, and it's going to be this perfected, glorified body, and we're going to live on a resurrected earth. But I do believe that where God is now is that place called the New Jerusalem or the Holy City. 
And it is, we actually have the dimensions of it, and there's a little bit of discrepancy. Some say it's, it, it, well, we can say this, it's between 1,000 and 1,400 miles long, and it's as wide as it is high as it is long. So the New Jerusalem is equal in length, width, and depth. And if you want to check that out, Revelation, you should fact check me on this, Revelation 21, 15 through 17. Go look at it. So it's a giant cube. And let me tell you how good God is. I was literally thinking this week to myself, uh, as I move my study to the hill overlooking this field, and I'm reading my Bible up there, and I'm pondering, I'm reading this in Revelation. I say, I wonder how big, what, the, what would that look like plopped on the earth today? Because that's what it looks like is going to happen, right? Would you believe just this morning, I went back there, I'm greeting everybody, saying hi to you all. If I didn't get to everybody, I'm sorry. But I went to Miss Reba, and Miss Reba hands this note to me, handwritten. She, I read this in my devotion this week. Is this correct? Revelation 21.2. And I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem. <laughs> Here's what it, let me just read to you what, what she read. And just, this is how big this, it's a physical place. And it's a big physical place. It is an exact square, this one says of 1,000 miles. Some say 14, so between 1,000 and 1,400 miles square. It stretches, listen to this. The from the Carolinas to California and from Canada to Mexico. Got that in your mind? It's a big city. It's 40 times, 40 times the size of England and 10 times the size of France and larger than India. India is huge, by the way. And that's just the ground floor as it's as tall as it is wide. 600,000 stories, if you want to measure it that way. More than enough space for billions of people to come and go. The gates never close. Listen to this. Why shut them? The enemies of God will be banished, leaving only a perfect place of perfect people. Isn't that something? She hands me this this morning. As, as I'm pondering, how big is this place? I, I don't know, a thousand miles. It doesn't mean anything to me. I can understand Carolinas to California, Canada to Mexico. It's going to take up a good chunk of, the, of this earth, of the new earth that's going to be created. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be uh, lighted by the glory of God itself. It's, it's 12 foundations going to have the names of the, of the, of the apostles. The Bible says it's going to be decorated with every kind of precious stone. It's going to have 12 gates. Now, I don't know how this works. But the gates, each one's going to be made of a single pearl. I want to see the oyster that that pearl comes out of. <laughs> Can you, that's what it says it's going to be. And they're going to be left wide open. And they're going to have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on them. There's going to be a street down the middle made of pure gold. It's going to be a place of unimaginable blessing. The curse of the old earth is going to be gone. And in this city is the tree of life. The Bible says, it's in Revelation 22, it's for the healing of the nations. Isn't that something? And the river of life is the place that Paul spoke of when he said, In the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.7. The new Jerusalem is the ultimate fulfillment of all of God's promises. 
The new Jerusalem is God's goodness made fully manifest. Isn't that amazing? Now here's what I think, Miss Reba, that this devotional doesn't pay enough attention to. Where is that new Jerusalem? It's going to be smack in the middle of a new earth. And we're not going to live in that new Jerusalem full time. We're going to live on the new earth full time. But we're going to, I believe, be able to go back and forth in the very presence of God as we function uh, gloriously in God's original design in a new Eden of an earth. And we're going to work. We're going to have things to work. We're going to have things to discover. There's going to be entertainment. And, 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 and there's going to be animals. I think the animals are probably going to talk. It's going to be, um, and, and everything in that creation is going to worship God. What an amazing place that's going to be. So that new Jerusalem is going to be smack in the middle of a new earth. All right, let me, let me wrap up with my last point. Where is current heaven? Where is it? And I put in there, it's a proximate place. By proximity, proximate, I mean it's closer than you think. We always have this idea, don't we? You got the air, as a, as a Jews believe, the air, you got outer space, and then where God lives is somewhere way beyond what? Outer space, right? Way far away. Well, I want to I push back against that for a minute. Um, current scientists believe that there are, th their numbers now are at least 10 unobservable dimensions. And in those 10 unobservable dimensions are an unlimited amount of universes that could simultaneously exist with ours. You're saying, preacher, you sound like you're talking science fiction. Hang with me. You know, the ancient Jewish rabbis believed there were three dimensions created by God. And we only live in one of them that's visible. What if, now I'm going to just throw this out there for a second. What if heaven, just hang with me for a minute. What if heaven wasn't somewhere past outer space, but was literally right here in an unobservable dimension where we are right now? Because when the absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. We are right now, I don't know, tell me how this works. Right now, the Bible, Paul says in Colossians, we are seated right now currently in the heavenly places in, in Christ Jesus. So something called me is seated in Christ right now. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Maybe we wake up where we've always been. In Christ, right? And maybe that dimension is right here. We can't see it. So you should be asking the question is, why can't we see it? That's a good question to ask. The reason you can't see it is because of sin. You all with me? I believe the veil between whatever that is, if it is a dimension or whatever, we know that we can't see it. I think that veil has to, has to do with sin. Um, but there were some people, there were some human beings in Scripture that have been allowed to see the unseen, um, two of them specifically to see heaven. And if heaven is a dimension that exists simultaneously with our dimension, uh, there are actually three. First one is a guy named Stephen. You all familiar with Stephen? In the book of Acts, he was the very first. Matter of fact, jot this down. Stephen, Acts 7, 55 to 56. Acts 7, 55 to 56. He was a deacon in the, early, in the first church in Jerusalem. And he is about to be martyred, put to death 
because of his faith. Here's his testimony. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. What? So is he having a premonition here or is he seeing something? <clears throat> oh, he's seeing something. And he is on earth in Jerusalem at this very time. And the Bible says he, gazed, he looks into heaven and saw the glory of God. And look at this. And Jesus, and where is Jesus now? All right. Now the Bible makes very clear, not just at the right hand, but he's what? Seated at the right hand. But look at, oh, this, this will bless your heart. This is a side thing. But, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why would Jesus be standing when the Bible says he's seated? You better believe it. He, he is fixing to welcome Stephen home. Isn't that a beautiful, that the Son of God would stand from his throne to welcome this man. Now, can we say he does that whenever? I don't know, but I think it's an amazing thought right here, isn't it? Next verse. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God as he is dying. What happened? God opened his eyes. Now, I'm going to say something here. This is Paul, gentle, not Paul the apostle. It's my opinion. I've had the opportunity, I'm not going to call it a privilege, but I have had the opportunity to be with numerous people as they breathe their last breath. And I believe that that very veil is open. The veil to what is unseen is opened as somebody's dying. And I have seen people react and respond and you know they're seeing something and some of them want to get there in the worst way. I've also been with people. One lady in particular, I remember, I shared the gospel with her on numerous occasions and she, she mocked it. She had no time, even, even as old as she was, she had no time for this man named Jesus. And I happened to be with her when she died, and she was in absolute terror. I don't know what she saw, and I'm not even going to tell you what she said, because it make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. But I remember as I was standing in that room, the hair was standing up on the back of my neck. And she was screaming and describing what she saw. And she went out in utter terror. I think that veil <laughs> gets pulled back. I also think, and I could be wrong about this, my opinion, I think somehow babies, newborns, can see some of it. It might just be, the Bible says they have guardian angels that constantly behold the face of God, right? We've got at least two. They might be seeing that. But, but again, that, that veil, somehow, I think those babies sometimes see it. So that's not an uncommon thing. Stephen definitely saw it. There's another guy in the Old Testament, real quick. Um, he, uh, he was Elisha's servant, his right-hand man called um, Gehazi in 2 Kings 6, 17. Elisha's servant. Do you remember? He's all freaking out because, you know, they're, they're getting ready to get attacked. And, and Elijah says, God, would you just open his eyes and let him see what, what, what the real situation is? Well, let me say it in his words. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. He says, apparently, Gehazi's having a meltdown. 
in front of Elisha because he can't see through that veil. And somehow Elisha knew what was there. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Look at that. What he, he saw in this other dimension that was existing in this one. What did he see? And behold, the mountain was full of what? Horses. Next verse. And chariots and fire all around Elisha. In other words, there might have been a whole bunch of people wanting to get their hands on Elisha, but they had to get through the heavenly hosts. And interestingly enough, there's horses there. Isn't that interesting? Right? And fire, and they could not get through. So Gehazi sees it. One more. And this might be the most important, because this one was constant. Jesus himself. This is the most fascinating scripture to me, and then I'm going to close this up today. It's found in John chapter 5 and verse 19. This, this, we read right over stuff and we don't let it soak in. We don't ponder and meditate on the import of these words. Jot that reference down. John, John 5, 19. Go read it for yourself later this week. Pull it up there, Sam, if you would. Here's, this is Jesus talking. So he's being questioned by his detractors. And, and, and they're, trying to, they're trying to say that Jesus is doing all these miracles, you know, by, by, by Satan. So here's what Jesus said. And Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, in other words, I'm telling you the truth, guys. I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Isn't that interesting? But what he sees, what does that say? But what he, what church? Sees the Father do. For whatever he, the father, does, the son also does in like manner. Now, one or two things is true here. Jesus is speaking metaphorically. And he's saying that he, quote, unquote, sees what his father is doing. In other words, he, by seeing, he means he senses it and then he, he does it. Or... It could literally mean, and I, I, I opt for this, he literally could see the Father at all times. Because remember what I said about this dimensional issue. What is the veil that keeps the dimension of heaven blind to us? That's right, Carolyn, it's sin. Did Jesus have any? No, no sin, no veil. He constantly beheld the face of the Father. And it's like literally the father would, would, would act out what needed to be done. Jesus would do it. Isn't that the way God intends us to live? As the spirit motivates us through the word of God to do or not do things, we then go ahead and do or not do those things. Jesus was our example. He beheld the face of the father. Possibly um, in the very dimension of heaven itself. I remember, do y'all remember when Norm Wakefield was here and he brought this verse up and he said, he, he used these words. He said, brothers and sisters, heaven is as close as the air that you breathe. We must stop thinking of this new Jerusalem, the place where God dwells, as so far away. One of the reasons we got to stop thinking of that is because we think it's so far away that not even God can see what we're doing. No, God is like right, he is right, heaven is right here. It's as close as the air that you breathe. We just can't see it through the veil of sin unless God pulls that veil back, which he did at least three times. And experientially, he makes you wonder about people who are dying and little ones.
I guess the thing we need to be asking ourselves then is current heaven, present heaven, intermediate heaven. It's not going to be this where it is. So where is heaven? I don't know. One of you sent that question. In. I can't say for sure, but here's what I do. I believe it's closer than you think. Even Jesus said, hey, hey, you guys are close. Heaven is nigh you. It's, it's, even, it's right here. You're so close to it. Paul would say later, you, you, you guys, you, you, you're, you just got to reach out and grasp it. You're, you're, right, you're almost there. The kingdom of heaven is right here. So the question we should be asking with current heaven, the new Jerusalem that's being prepared, and one day it's going to get finished, and God's going to pull the plug on history. Amen? Bring that massive city down to a brand new earth, which we'll talk about next week. Our resurrection and a resurrected earth. The question we should be asking ourselves is, who lives, who gets to enjoy that new Jerusalem? Who's there? Well, we know that the Father is there. The Lamb of God is there. Revelation 21. The angels are at the gates of this city. Verse 12. But the city will be filled with God's redeemed children. The new Jerusalem is the righteous counter to the evil Babylon. The world had its city. God has His. Amen? Babylon is destroyed by the judgment of God. The wicked had their city, and God has his. Here's the question. To which city do you belong? Which kingdom are you in? Do you realize how important the answer to that question is? If you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died and rose again, and by believing, you have turned away from your sin. You see your sin the way God sees it. As an unthinkable treason against the cosmic king of the universe. And you are following him, desiring to do only that which pleases him. And then by God's grace... You are a citizen of the New Jerusalem. Isn't that an amazing thought? The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. Isn't that an interesting word? <clears throat> in Christ Jesus. You're already there. And somehow, as we live in the shadow lands, we can feel it. We, there are times that in the shadow lands of sinful earth, we can feel the glory of heaven that's coming. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 4, that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. But, oh, beloved, if you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, rejected your sin, and begun to learn and prove obedience through the Holy Spirit, I urge you to receive Him today, to repent of your sin today. The invitation is extended through John in Revelation 22, 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Do you know him? Are you a citizen of that new Jerusalem? Is your name written 
in the Lamb's book of life? Are you registered in heaven? And if you shake your head yes, I want you to ask yourself this question. Based on what? One of the things I ask for when someone is ready to come under the authority of the church is this. Write out your testimony for me. And here's a way to do that. The moment you die and you stand before a holy God, and he says, on what grounds should you have access to this new Jerusalem? What would your answer be? That tells me what you believe about the gospel, about the Bible, and about you. And 90% of the time, people have one of those things wrong. Most of the time, people think they're better than they are. And that God's not as good as he is. Because you think you have to earn it. If you have to earn it, beloved, nobody's going. It has been earned for you. And that changes your heart. It causes you to love what God loves and, yes, hate what God hates. God hates sin. And he loves righteousness. If that does not mark your life, I want to tell you, you are not one of his. Not yet. So I say to you, come. The bride says, come. All who hear are invited to come and drink freely of the water of life. Receive this free gift. But know that it changes your life forever. You will follow Him. You will want what He wants and your desires will change. That's a good thing. Would you stand with me? I invite you to come to Christ today. If you, if you really think that you're one of those and your name's written in that Lamb's Book of Life, then you better thank Him this morning. Amen? Be thankful that He will not let you go. That your standing with God is not based on your best day, but on His best day. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? And please know that whatever, whatever book your name is written in the, the Lamb's Book of Life and the Lamb of Death, or the, or the book of death today, know this, that when we put our faith in Christ, when we run away from our sin and run to our Savior, and by the power of the Holy Spirit follow Him, know this, He's got you. He's got you. He'll never let you go. His grace is greater than your sin. Amen, saints? Anybody glad for that this morning? He'll never let you go. He'll hold you fast. And the more you think you had something to do with your salvation, the less you'll believe it's real. But oh, when you understand you had nothing to do with it, but God did it all, then you have confidence as God changes your heart. Let's sing this song. When I fear my faith will fail, look at this, Christ will hold me fast.